Well, today we're going to talk about what's in a name. So we did something like four years ago like this, a little reminder of, uh, a reminder of who we are. Uh, a lot of people weren't here four years ago, so um, this will be new to most people, and it's new to me because I rewrote it. Um, but I thought it was a good reminder with a new season and a church that just today uh, turned six years old, which is kind of a big deal. Um, yeah, so we're going to talk about uh, the meaning of, of a name. And so anyone can look up their name and see, uh, see what it means. So does anyone know the meaning of their name? No one? Yeah, Eric, what, is your, what, do you, what does it mean? A leader? Yeah. Nice. Very good. Anyone else know that? Yeah. It is. God's peace, Jeff. I looked you up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Chad, I got, I got all of us. Yeah, I looked you up. Yeah, God's peace, right? So if you don't know the meaning of your name, you should, all right? So I get called a lot of names, um, <laughs> which we, depending on the person and the situation. Uh, but the name that my mother gave me is Robert, right? So I looked it up. Uh, presumably, I was named after my uncle. Um, and when I looked Robert up, I learned that it's of English origin, and it means uh, bright fame, all right? So I started looking at some statistics about it, and Robert, the third most popular name given to boys in the last 100 years, uh, but in 2019, it's plummeted to 71st. Um, and so I don't know why this came up, but I actually learned that statistically speaking, if I were to move to Iceland, I'd have a chance of being famous. Um, but that's pretty unlikely, so I'm just going to settle for 71st. And so I was asking myself this week, like, how well have I lived into my name, Bright Fame, all right? Well, I've gone from zero followers on Instagram to a whopping 127, all right? Now, that's like 2,000 less than my daughter, Corinne, to put it in perspective. Now, to be honest, I'm not sure who they are or why they follow me because I don't even use Instagram, so I, don't, I, don't, I have no idea who, who those 127 people are. Um, I haven't actually sent a tweet in like four years, so my 27 followers on Twitter haven't really missed very much. Um, I've never appeared on television or the movies as the organizing pastor of a church uh, that turns six. I get an average now, I think, of about 20 people that listen to our sermon podcast online which is up from five a couple years ago, all right? So not exactly bright fame, all right? <laughs> like, but I'm hopeful that I still have uh, a little more time uh, to live into my name and that it won't require a move to Iceland. All right, here's a few biblical names. Oh, yeah. <laughs> True. <laughs> here's a few biblical names. Abel means breath, David means well-loved, Abraham, the father of many, Peter's the rock, Esther is secret or hidden, Ezekiel's the strength of God, Jesus means God save, so here's to your light shine, church staff. Dustin, you know what your name means? You, awesome, valiant, valiant. All right, Shailene, who's not here today, Shay, this is my favorite one, from the fairy palace. <laughs> She's going to die when she knows that her, that's what her name means. Perfect. Uh, Jeff, God's peace. You were right on. Um, Chad, do you know? This is what I found, and so we're going to have to do some comparing. Name of a saint. I don't really quite get it, but that's what I, when I saw it, 
that's what I found. So you have to like do some research and see if that's even right. Um, so not bad. Our collective names, aside from maybe from a fairy palace, <laughs> I don't know what that one means. Um, but that's not bad for for a church staff. Um, what about our collective name, right? Lightshine Church. What does um, our name mean? And so in order to kind of help us with that question, we're going to look at a passage of scripture where our name comes from. So looking back, we had, I mean, there's a few people in the room that were there. We had an impossible time trying to come up with a name. Like, I mean, it was painful. But we knew that we wanted light to be kind of like the controlling metaphor. But every, like lighthouse is taken, everyone's a lighthouse. We wanted to be something to do with light. And so I sent this passage to my friend Luke, who most of you know, uh, shows up once in a while and preaches for me. And he's like, Rob, the name of the church is right in the passage. So here it is, Matthew 5, 13 to 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hidden. No one after lighting a lamp puts it under the bushel basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. There it is. So that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. The word of the Lord. So we heard it because I kind of gave it away. And then we added the word church to it. So that's problematic today. And more than a century ago, this debate began to rage within Christian theology, and it was concerning the necessity or the non-necessity of the institutional church. And so people were asking some really tough questions, like Jesus came and talked about a coming kingdom. Why do we need a church? And so the disillusionment about the validity of the church has grown stronger in our 21st century post-Christian culture. More than ever before, people are just divorcing their search for God from the church and practically speaking, just voting with their feet. And so we see the church in North America follow uh, Europe in serious decline. And so a good question is, like, why did we decide to start a new church amidst this kind of cultural opposition? And the short answer is, for me, when I think about it, is that Jesus didn't write a book on discipleship. He formed a community. Jesus formed a community, a community of disciples that were gathered around himself for the sake of the world. And so long before there were institutions or popes or pastors, church buildings, there was this community of people, this community of people that were gathered around the God who had taken on flesh in Jesus Christ. 2,000 years later, over, we're still here, gathered here today, not as a place, not as a building, but as a people, still gathered around Jesus Christ, still gathered around the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so it's in the real presence of Jesus that holds a pretty diverse community here together. And so this is just like the most basic of all reminders. We, just, we, are, we all know this. We get it or we wouldn't be here. We'd be somewhere else. We're not a building. We're, we are a people. We're not a place. Lightshine Church is the community. It is this group of people. And so it was kind of reflecting back, like the idea of this church was actually born about nine years ago or so. Uh, the truth is, it wasn't my idea. So some people have heard this before. It started as conversations with friends about the state of the church in the world today. It kind of coincided with the missional church planting movement uh, that was kind of beginning to take shape, all with the hope of recovering 
the kind of missional nature of the church, which seemed to many of us to have just been lost somewhere in our history. And so we wanted to, to make a change on that. Um, the conversations became a reality. There was a team of people that joined me. There's a few of you in the room right now. Met for nine months, once a week. Uh, it was really fun. Uh, we were there to pray and discuss the nature of the church and try to figure out what shape this new church uh, would take. And so when I talk to people in the community all the time about our church, uh, it always it's really interesting when people find out what I do. Um, the reactions are varied. 50% of them just like walk away, shut down, and don't want to talk to me. Um, some people, then they have, they have something to say when they find out what I do. Uh, they've got some opinions. Um, but almost everyone genuinely wants to know, like they want to know what we're about. And they ask, like, why start, why start another church when there's so many churches? This, and they'll say, like, what makes you different? Or what makes your church unique? Um, and they ask that, usually more than a little bit skeptical. Like, and, and maybe rightly so. Many prophetic saints, both past and current, remind us of the church's like checkered history and past and participation in things that run counter to the kingdom that Jesus ushered in. And so the world looks at the present state of the church and they wonder, like, what happened to the church's saltiness? What happened to the church's light? And so people want to know, like, are we worth the risk of being let down again? They want to know if we're going to allow peripheral things to get in the way of God's mission in the world. They want to know, will I be accepted for who I am? Will I be welcomed into your community? They ask me these questions. This is all the time. When people ask me, these are the kinds of questions they ask. Will I be allowed to, would I be allowed to use my gifts and talents in a way that helps further the kingdom? I get asked these kind of questions all the time. And usually when people want to talk about this, they want to say, like, what kind of church are you? I usually try to explain what kind of church we are by saying something like, well, we're a church that's trying to live into its name. That's what we want to, that's what we want to do. And so Jesus actually in this passage uses the present tense. This is important because he's saying you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Not someday in a distant future you will be these things. Jesus says you are those things right now. And so the you are's of Jesus is some Bible scholars will call them, they remind us that Jesus actually has a really high view of us, that Jesus has a high view of the church too. They remind us that we matter, they remind us that individually and collectively what we do together, uh, it matters, it's needed, it makes a difference. Uh, it's useful in order that God might be made known to the world. And so salt preserves, it purifies, it adds flavor and salt the key to salt is it doesn't exist for itself. In one of my very first sermons, I said one of the most ridiculous things ever. Lindros, you'll remember this because I'm about to show you a picture. I said something really just totally ridiculous, which I say all the time, but it's, it's true. What I said was salt one centimeter away from a McDonald's supersized fries is totally worthless. Okay? Here it is. Michael Lindroth, who was listening to my sermon, evidently, which was a shocker to me, went home and made this French fry. Uh, and it says, a grain of salt one centimeter away from a French fry is useless, quote, Rob Douglas. <laughs> um, that is, seriously, that is one of my absolute favorite memories since we started um, 
when Michael brought that. And we used that for uh, box tops that we collected for a long time. I don't know, do, do you guys know where it is? <laughs> How could you throw that away? That's so sad. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, but this is like one of my favorite. I just, I can't get enough. That's so cool. I was just so shocked that someone that his age was actually paying attention to me. Um, that was the biggest surprise. And so, but Jesus' warning in this passage is, it's really simple. What he says is the disciples that remain disconnected, disengaged, even by one centimeter from the real needs of the world, are unable to fulfill their purpose. And so Jesus can ask us some really tough questions like, well, what good are we if we cease to be what God made us? And so Jesus is challenging us to be salty, to stay salty, to continue to be what we already are, tasty. And this is important for the missional church movement, not just tasty to ourselves, not just tasty to this community, but tasty to those around us, to our neighbors, to community and beyond. And so there was this incredible book. I doubt anyone's read it, but if, if you haven't in this interest, you I highly recommend it. How We Got to Now, Six Innovations That Made the Modern World. Anyone? Stephen Johnson? Oh, it is really good. And so one of his chapters, the very last one, was a chapter on the history of light. All right? So here it is summarized. He says that if an alien civilization was looking for signs of life in the galaxy, that there would have been absolutely nothing to report until the emergence of artificial light, which he calls the most significant change in the planet's history over 65 million years. All the important things he talks about that have marked the rise of human civilization would pale in comparison to the brilliance of light. And so he goes on and he says that the night skies today shine 6,000 times brighter than they did just 150 years ago. And the light bulb, what is it the symbol of? Anyone? Innovation still is today. And so for almost 2,000 years from the Dark Ages, appropriately named, to the Industrial Age, the candle was the best solution we had for indoor lighting. Then, I don't see if anybody knows the story. I didn't know it. 1712, this nor'easter storm blows a ship's captain out to sea. As he's out to sea, he discovers and harpoons a sperm whale. Anyone know what sperm whales have in their skulls? About 500 pounds of oil, right? Oil candles produce better light and less smoke than wax candles. 300,000 sperm whales were killed in order to get that oil. They would have gone extinct if it were not for the discovery of fossil fuels. Those lamps were 20 times brighter than candles. We see the progression going here. Over a dozen inventors were working on the invention of the light bulb. At least half a dozen of them had already hit on the same basic formula that Thomas Edison had arrived at. It was the kind of invention that had been coming together over multiple decades of work. Now, Edison didn't actually invent the light bulb, but he gets all the credit. Um, he was a good showman is what he was. He marketed himself really well. Um, but here's the fun part. Here's where things get really interesting in the history of light. After some strange twists and turns, the invention of the light bulb led to the invention of flash photography. How am I doing, Eric? Does this sound right? Okay, good. If I'm screwing this up, you need to stop me right now. Don't let me embarrass myself. Okay, it leads to the invention of flash photography, which for the first time in human history does this. It illuminates the darkness of poverty in our cities around the world. Here is a picture that started a revolution. 
This is 1888, and it says New York City, a shelter of immigrants uh, in a tenement in 1888. And so I could not take my eyes off this picture. I've looked at it all week long, count how many people are in there. Just look at that picture, right? This picture, because of light, uh, actually starts a revolution that uh, wants to crusade against ending up urban poverty. That's light, right? And this is exactly what light does. It illuminates darkness. It helps us to see more clearly. It highlights the fact, like this cool picture, that things are not as they are supposed to be. They are not as they will be when the kingdom of God is complete. And so Jesus' message precedes Edison's by a couple thousand years, light bulb. Um, but he knew then, just like we know today, that light was something that the world needed. Today we just create light at the flick of a switch. When I come in here in the morning, uh, you can't see a thing. I'm lucky to make it to that thing. If there's anything lying in the way, I trip and fall and whatever, because it is that dark in here. The flip of one switch, we create light. It's, we just take it for granted. Now, if there, uh, if there are aliens out there, they've definitely seen Vegas from wherever they are, for sure. Now, according to Jesus' warning, right, he just says something really simple. He says salt can lose its flavor, and a light can be hidden away. And so we're reminded by Jesus in this passage that we, too, we can lose our effectiveness. We can lose our flavor. We can lose our power to illuminate injustice. Salt and light are our identities as Christians but we still have to claim that identity. We still have to live it. And so we, uh, we do that individually and collectively. In other words, our identity, this is just so important that this identity comes with responsibility. This is what Jesus is trying to say. That just knowledge about Jesus without purpose, without vision, without missional action that joins God and mission in our neighborhoods and our communities and beyond is like taking a lamp and hiding it under a basket. This is what he's trying to say. There are many things that get in the way, many things that hide what was meant to be seen. I mean, we could talk for a long time about this, but the thing is, is we don't struggle with these things here, which is really exciting for me. Church drama, uh, being on the wrong side of history, which church has been on in a lot of things, injustice, self-absorption, things that turned the lights out on a city that was meant to be seen. Falling into comfort and complacency, this kind of self-absorption and self-focus, uh, this is how we lose our saltiness. This is how our light is hidden. I, I have a friend, and that's why I say, I, this is one, one of my favorite things about this, is we just don't have, we just don't see those things here, which is really wonderful. I was having lunch with a really good friend on Friday who quit. He's quit. He's done. He just said, I'm, not, I'm done with church. He said, I'm done with this, the drama. I'm done with church politics. I'm done with this stuff. He says, I don't need to go to church to be a good person and to follow Jesus. And he's saying this to me because he wants, my, he wants my, my reaction, you know? But it's just sad but true. This is, people are doing this all over the place. They're just walking away. And so today is a really interesting day for us. We turn six. Now, September 1st was kind of like, uh, it was the first day uh, that we knew we were a go, and we were kind of go, going for it. 
Um, we kind of had everything lined up and we're ready. Our first public gathering was the first Sunday of October, so in one month. Um, it's a really exciting day for us. Six years later, we're still here, and honestly, it's probably nothing short of miraculous. It's hard. You know, starting this is hard. How far are you guys, Chad? Like five months into it. How's it feel? It's hard. Yeah, it's, it's, it's hard. It's good, though. Yeah, it is. It's both. Um, and so we kind of see getting to six years, honestly, like in year three, I wasn't sure what was going to happen. I think a lot of us were like, hey, I don't know. <laughs> Will we make it past year three? We really weren't sure. Um, and, and somehow, by God's grace, uh, we did. And so today, it's exciting for a lot of reasons. We, we turned six. Uh, we welcome Chad and Amy, which is really nice. Um, and we have this reminder from Jesus to stay salty, uh, to stay shining, to uh, this reminder to kind of continue to attempt to live into our name, which is really attempting to live into the mission that God has called us to together. And so we're just a small part of God's plan here in the Caneo Valley. One of our core values at Lightshine that we talk about all the time is, uh, we're actually talking about it last week, we talk about it most weeks, is generosity. And so generosity is one of our core values. It's one of the ways that we live into our name. And one of the things to me that's most impressive is the way that you all participate in God's kingdom, not just through this church, but so many of you are so active in the community, um, in other organizations and other things that you do, uh, where you're just living this stuff out. To me, I find that to be extremely inspiring. It's like we're building a community that we can be proud of. And I think to me, that is really, uh, really exciting. So if you want to know, you know, like what impact have we had on our larger community, maybe we just ask a few simple questions. What are our community, what are our mission partners? Uh, would they miss us if we were gone? It's a question I think about all the time. Anybody miss us if we were gone? And I kind of just started thinking about a few things. Like, have we made a difference for those kids over at Walnut Elementary School that we tutor over the last? Scott, what do you think? Debbie, I mean, we got up, Steve, we got some tutors. We've, we think we've made a pretty, pretty big impact in some of these kids' lives who one year are a you know, full year behind in school and getting tutored, and the next year they're not in the tutoring program anymore. That's a pretty good sign that some kid has has kind of caught up a little bit. You know, you think about the people that are experiencing homelessness here in our community, which um, there are many, and that number seems to be rising significantly. Have we, uh, have we made an impact there uh, working with this kind of continued commitment to justice with our partnerships with like Lutheran Social Services and Harbor House? Have we made a difference for those folks? I think the answer is yes. Have people in rural Nicaragua, because this Susan Cotton's Lily Foundation, Lily Project that we support, have they received life-saving medical care because of the, this church's support? Yes, they have. Susan has come multiple times to share that with us. And so I believe the answer is yes to those things. Would our community mission partners miss us if we were gone? Yeah. Have we made a difference? Yes, we have. And this is because of our commitment to each other and to this generosity that Jesus calls us to. And so when we live as salt and light, the end of that passage just says something. It's really simple, that our lives become transparent, right? Transparent to reveal the God behind the good works. And so people ought to see right through. That's why some of those uh, songs, Love Shine Through, that Jeff picked, uh, songs that kind of fit this theme here, that when we're about what we're supposed to be about, uh, when our light is shining in the right spot, that people will see, be, you know, see right through those good works and see uh, the God who loves 
them uh, more than they could ever imagine in those things. And so we want to, we say here, we want to gather well and scatter better. That's kind of our little mantra. That's who, who we are. And so we know that the church's potential to influence the world is directly related to where, what the church illuminates, what that light illuminates. And if our collective light is shining where it's supposed to be, just maybe we can get six more years. Maybe we can recapture the imaginations of folks who are just walking away uh, and not wanting anything to do uh, with church. And so what's in a name? A lot is in a name, way more than I have time to talk about today. But I'm just going to say that as six years, I'm pleased to be in this with uh, all of you, this important work, who personally just I consider you guys to be my, my family, my spiritual family. So may God grant us the grace to live into our name. And may God give us the courage to continue to join God on mission. Will you pray with me? God, we just thank you for your word, uh, the ways in which it challenges us to remain what you say, God, that we already are. You say that we're salt and that we're light. God, help us to not disconnect and disengage from the real needs of folks all around us and help us to shine the light on the right things, things that illuminate who you are and your incredible love in Jesus Christ. God, give us courage to join you in the places that you are. We pray this in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.